phone. Bone. Tone. Alone. Lone. Blown. <laughs> this is Unorthodox, the universe's leading Jewish podcast. I'm your host, Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by tablet editor-at-large, Liel Leibovitz. Larger by the minute with the help of Latkes and Sufganiel. Did you see that I was mocked in the Facebook group for saying editor-at-large? I was accused of beating a dead horse as if every time I called you editor-at-large, I was You're calling me insinuating fat. something about your weight. <laughs> it made me very happy. Which I, you are actually, that is your tablet title is editor-at-large. Correct. It is my destiny also. I'm also here with tablet deputy editor, Stephanie Budnick. Good day. Deputy editor-at-large, in fact. I'm no, just regular just, size. Just regular. Oh, oh, it's actually not about that? It was not about that at all. Just, I'm just saying you're out there in the world. You're just bringing, both of you are just at large, out there in the world. I'm just deputizing left and right. Jewish journalism to the masses. Today, we have a very special episode to celebrate the first night of Hanukkah, which is tonight, uh, for those of you who listen on the day that we drop. And we figured what better way to welcome the Festival of Lights than by putting everyone in a musical mood. So three musicians, Peter Curtis, Shira Coburn, and Kosha Dills will be joining us. Also, we welcomed back sociolinguist Sarah Boonen Benor to settle some Jewish pronunciation questions that pop up, that pop out of the oil, the frying oil, every year at this time. And into the fire. That's right. But first, as we've learned from Hanukkah's past, it is inevitable that we will get smacked across the face <laughs> with ham-fisted attempts at Hanukkah culture. This year, one of the worst, or so it seems, comes to us courtesy of the Hallmark Channel, whose movie, advertised uh, ubiquitously on the web and debuting Saturday night, is called Love Lights Hanukkah. Stephanie Erliel. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be the title of my autobiography. Lights, camera, latkes. I get the results of my DNA test this week. I am 50% Jewish. We just need to figure out the connection. I was adopted. I'm your biological mother. Wow. Wow. Mia Kirshner, Ben Savage, and Mary Lou Henner. There's something so endearing about her. Is Hanukkah always this much fun? Depends on the family. I think I found the right family. Love lights Hanukkah. Only on Hallmark Channel. Okay, that was Ben Savage. That was Ben. My older brother, Fred, was Kevin Arnold on The Wonder Years Savage. What was Ben Savage in? Boy Meets World. And Mia Kirshner and Mary Lou Henner in a timeless tale of DNA creating a Jewess, creating a desire to reconnect with her roots, creating romance. Their other alternate title was DNA, oy vey. Because when I think, you know, Jewish mama, I think Mary Lou Henner. So why do I find the prospect of this movie so horrible? What is it? Can one of you put your finger on what sucks so bad about it? I can't speak specifically to this movie, but I do think like with Christmas sweaters, right? Where we like now wear Hanukkah sweaters and we say, oh, this is fun. It's a genre that actually doesn't apply to us. And I think trying to Ooh. take the format of the Christmas movie of like, oh, there's some mix up in these cases. Remember, wasn't it last year? It was like, you're Jewish, but you don't know, like you didn't tell someone or no, you bring your boyfriend home, but he's Boyfriend Jewish. home, right. Yes, it was, and he's, it was... he doesn't, no one knows he's Jewish and he like doesn't know things about the Christmas tree, which, but no one loves Christmas trees like Jews. Right. But basically, I would argue that this is He's a like, genre. who is this guy in the red suit? I am very confused. He was not in my shul. <laughs> but, but you know, this is just a genre that I don't want to partake in. Like Jews have a ton of entertainment options. And I want to say like, we do not need the Christmas movie for Hanukkah. Even Hallmark's like slogan is like 
Christmas is us. And it's like, <laughs> it's like something like Hallmark is Christmas and that's okay. So and we don't need everything tailored to us. Basically what you're saying, Stephanie, is it's the movie of the week version of the one Jewish song that's thrown into the Christmas pageant at the public school. The like, we're going to sing dreidel, dreidel, dreidel or something surrounded by Adeste Fidelis and Ave Maria and old King Wenceslas and every Christmas carol ever. As just, a comic just, relief for, for like three <laughs> seconds before we continue. Don't even do it. Just have your Christmas pageant. Just my kid will happily sing in your Christmas pageant. It doesn't seem like these movies are made by Jews. Look, that's the other problem. Like, I think we need Jews making the Jewish movies. Maybe they are. I don't know. Or maybe they shouldn't be on Hallmark as it is, like at all. <laughs> It would give me great pleasure if Hallmark actually doubled down and instead of doing like silly stuff like, <laughs> oh, there was a DNA mix-up, like go all in. Like my dream movie, I came up with two premises. I worked very hard on this all week. <laughs> okay. I okay. have two amazing premises, ready? Okay. My first and I think maybe favorite uh, is called A Rove Actually. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's about a love affair. Uh, in a tiny little town in Connecticut between the reformed Jewish uh, city councilwoman who doesn't want the Eruv to come to, to town uh, and the strident, handsome Chabadnik who convinces her to fall in love with her tradition. Uh, and Eruv, of course, being the string that you tie around a portion of the city in order so that you may carry stuff on Shabbat. But I think my, my other big favorite, and this may be more of a crowd pleaser, yeah. uh, is a movie called Jingle Bells. Uh, it has to do with a chassid from the Bell's court. And to make ends meet, this young Bell's chassid goes to work as a mall Santa because he already has the beard and everything. And he falls in love with one of the lovely women who works as a, as a temp for the holiday, who also happens to be Jewish. I mean, I'm great I love at this. It. I love it. I, and then the, the sequel is Jingle Belzer, where Richard Belzer comes on and like reprises the role. <laughs> Look, I like this. I just think that, like, we are not lacking for Jewish content. And I think that, like, and it it sort of is like when you hear the, like, the Hanukkah songs that fall into the category. Like, you, yep. you're like, we don't, I don't know, like, give me a Passover. Give me a new Passover song, right? Like, give me a great Rosh Hashanah jam. Give me a Tuba Av song. Give yeah. me a Gedalia song. I will say that this year, the gods, the Lord of Song, uh, as, as Reb Leonard would say, has been very kind to us. Uh, mm. He has given us one of the great all-time masterpieces of Holiday Fair. Have you heard Puppy for Hanukkah? You know what I want to. What you want? 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 I want a puppy for Hanukkah. Want a puppy? 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 And I'ma get just what I wanted. Yep. I have heard and seen the most darling video for Puppy for Hanukkah. This is from David Diggs, Jew and star of Hamilton. And the first listen, I wasn't so into the beat, but then on the second listen, the lyrics won me over. And then the third listen, I just I just you wanted like, to cradle I could that. I do this better when you first listen. Yeah, but by the way, but like hearing of. David Diggs has a Hanukkah song, you're like, okay, I, I, I like this. This is like, All this in. is a person I like, like a style, like this is just going to be cool. And it was also high stakes song, Puppy for Hanukkah. Classic song and, you know, not to be overlooked that the little Jews, the little Jewish boys and girls in this movie are, you know, mostly little Jews of color. And uh, having little Jewish children of color be the recipients of the Hanukkah puppy, 
I think that's I think that breaks some ground for this kind of admittedly sort of ready-made, schlocky, but cutesy uh, mass culture and done really well in this case. I think that's important. You know, by the end of it, it's just all about the puppy. But for a lot of it, it's about saying, look at the range of people who celebrate Hanukkah. But you know, what I like what this song does is it is so absurd, right? Puppy for Hanukkah. It's not trying to live in the realm of Christmas songs appropriated for Jewish music. By the way, Christmas, let's talk about Christmas music. We all know who made all most who, who of did that? the Christmas who did music. That? Them Jews. So you're welcome, Gentiles. So, but, but what I like about Puppies for Hanukkah is like the absurdity of the premise. It's like, it doesn't even, it's, it's not trying to fit in a trope like the, like the way the Hallmark movies are, right? It's just saying like, I want a puppy for Hanukkah. Right. I got eight nights to get it. I, as a dog lover, I will gloss over the highly problematic fact that they've boxed up a puppy. I mean, no, you don't treat a side. puppy that way. There, there are holes inside. Nevertheless, you don't box a puppy. That said, if you're going to box a puppy, <laughs> make it that cute little puppy given to those cute little Jewish children in this adorable song. So the the the, the little Leibovitz, uh, the, the Leibovitz kids, uh, have been on high alert this I think of them week. as the Leibovici. Uh, the Lebovici. The Lebovici. Hey, they're very nice in the garden. Uh, so they are the universe's biggest uh, Hamilton fans ever. I mean, here's how obsessed they are with Hamilton, a show that they have now seen about seven billion times on Disney+. Plus. Um, they wrote their own version of Hamilton, and it will tell you everything you need to know about me and my children, that that show is called Huffington. It's about Ariana Huffington. <laughs> And the title song goes, Ariana Huffington, we are waiting in the car for you. It's very beautiful. And so not only are they huge fans, they're huge to V. Diggs fans. And, you know, when they found out he was Jewish, they were, you know, all the more delighted. And then this song comes and it's by him. And it's about puppies. It's it's as if someone read like your diary and wrote like the perfect kind of storm of happiness. They have listened to it about 4,000 times in the last 48 hours. Well, uh, that's the best of Hanukkah culture. But we also want to bring you a report from the front lines of bad Hanukkah culture. Uh, Josh Cross has been superintending the Unorthodox Facebook group, where you, the J Crew, our devoted listeners, have been scouting out questionable, worrisome, and uh, generally nefarious Hanukkah commercial practices uh, for the benefit of us all. Josh, can we have that report, please? Well, listen, there were so many posts about this. I actually had to tell people to stop posting, <laughs> and I had to put them all together and, and put it all in one post so that we could find them all in one place and not be swarmed with them. But let me just give you a few examples. First of all, there's a million different ways people have done the wrong number of candles on a menorah. Definitely not a Hanukkah, but six candles, five candles, 12 candles, 10 <laughs> candles. There was tons all over the place. Then there's the things that are for like the obvious Christian home where they're trying to welcome a Jew, like the sign that says <laughs> dreidel spin, sleigh bells ring. Huh? Similarly, there was also a gelt digger sign <laughs> in the typical cursive live, laugh, love type font. There's a really awesome pillow at Bed Bath & Beyond that says Happy Hanukkah with a random black hat and a beard on it, which, you know, if somebody wants to send me that, I'll take it, but I don't get it. Walmart has a blessed Yom Kippur house flag Hanukkah double-sided <laughs> decorative vertical flag with the right number of candles, but what? And the best one, of course, is the Jewish nativity scene with the Orthodox man in a strimal, <laughs> Mary with a headscarf, and little baby Jesus in a white Star of David. Yeah. Well, 
like, here's the thing. I just think we need to like stop trying to take Christian traditions and make them Jewish. It's literally the opposite. Like that is going in the wrong direction. So it's like, I don't, I don't know. But I, I, you know, the problem is it's like, it's sort of like an, and such small portions problem. Cause we're like, how come there's nothing at Walmart for Hanukkah? And then they give you something with like six candles on a yep. candelabra. And you're like, that is incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> Why did they not consult me before doing this? So we can't, it's like, it's tough. And while we're talking about problems that come with the holiday season, here's one. The never-ending question of how to pronounce latka. Now, this wasn't a question for me for most of my life. The only pronunciation I'd ever heard was latke with a schwa, a little uh. With a little zhuzh there. Uh, you know, just a, a little vowel there. Then you start hosting a Jewish podcast and you discover out of the woodwork that lots of, you know, serious, important, learned people say latke including, for example, repeat unorthodox guest and, and great Jewish chef Molly Ye. There are people who know their stuff who say latke, which would have been inconceivable to me. So, to soothe my nerves and to settle this question, we turned to another repeat unorthodox guest, uh, Hebrew Union College sociolinguist Sarah Boonin Benor, for the lowdown. Why do some people say latki while most people say latka? Well, that has to do with the transition from Yiddish to English. When Yiddish-speaking immigrants came to the United States and other English-speaking countries, they had to make a decision, usually not conscious, about how to pronounce the unstressed uh sound at the end of a word. Because in English, if you have an uh at the end of a word, it's pronounced uh or e. In Yiddish, you would say latke. But in English, you would have to choose latka or latki. Some people chose latki, some people chose latka, but latka became the much more common version. You see the same with chala, where chala became the most common version, but some people still say chali. And I think we tend to associate Latki and Chali with older Jews in America because I think that variation was more common back then than it is now. It happened differently with the words Bubby and Zadie. It could have been Bubba and Zeta, and some people do pronounce them that way. But Bubby and Zadie became the more common version, perhaps even somewhat standardized in Jewish English. This might be a geographic thing. If you think about England, they might be more likely to say it in different ways than in the United States. In Toronto, they would say Lutka instead of Latka because of a different vowel issue. But it doesn't relate to the geographic origins of Yiddish dialect. You do see that, though, in Kugel versus Kegel and Punam versus Punam. In America, Kugel and Punam became the norms, whereas in Yiddish, they are pronounced in different ways depending on what region of Eastern Europe people are from, the Litvaks versus the Galicianers. So now that we've solved the Latka-Latki issue, let's talk about Hanukkah versus Hanukkah. So this also relates to the transition from Yiddish or from other Jewish languages to English, because in English there isn't the ch sound. And when Jews pronounce words that have a ch sound, they have to decide, sometimes not consciously, if they're going to pronounce it as ch or h. And a lot of people in America pronounce Hanukkah with a h instead of a ch, even if they pronounce a lot of the other words that have a ch sound with a ch. Why is that? Because it is a word that has become common in American discourse more generally. And when non-Jews say that word, they are much more likely to say Hanukkah. I've even heard some Jews who are very engaged in Jewish life, including even some rabbis, who will say Hanukkah when talking to non-Jews 
but Hanukkah when talking to their Jewish friends. And of course, this is an example of code switching, which people in many minority communities do. They will use one form when talking to people in their community and a different form when talking to outsiders. If you say Hanukkah when talking to non-Jews, that doesn't mean that you can't pronounce the ch sound. In fact, you might very well talk to your friend Michal about the Hanukkah party that you are planning. And that might just be because you, you got used to saying that word Hanukkah as Hanukkah. I even have some survey data about this, not specifically the word Hanukkah, but about code switching in general. I did a survey of American Jewish language and identity in 2008. And in the pre-testing phase, it became clear that I couldn't just ask, what do you call the spring holiday? Passover versus Pesach versus Pesach. I had to ask specific to certain audiences. So I asked, what do you call the spring holiday when talking to non-Jews? when talking to Jews who are not engaged in religious life and when talking to Jews who are engaged in religious life. And many people checked different answers for those different audiences. They might say Passover when talking to non-Jews and Pesach when talking to Jews who are less engaged in Jewish life and Pesach when talking to Jews who are more engaged in Jewish life. And same with Shabbos and Shabbat and Sabbath and other words that are part of Jewish English. That was the holiday lowdown from Sarah Boonen Benor, one of our favorite linguists. Because, you know, every, everyone needs a favorite linguist. I'm so excited to make latkes, you guys. But the best news from this Hanukkah season is not latke related, is not David Diggs related. It is love, actually related. It's the, the love story of Hal Carve and his bride, Irene Sabadia. Some of you remember that Hal was on our apology episode, our Yom Kippur apology episode from 2018. It was episode 150. You could hear Hal tell the story of how he recovered from his drinking and began to make amends. Then, as it turned out, Irene, an old flame of his from many, many years before, heard about this episode and got in touch with him. They reconnected. They began spending time together again. And Hal got in touch with us shortly before our Cincinnati live show and said that he had some news he wanted to share with us at that show. So for episode 215, we brought Hal and Irene on stage in Cincinnati. From the day we met for coffee, I don't think there's been a single day where we haven't talked, FaceTime. So my birthday is December 6th, right? So 12 plus 6 is high. 18. 18. And um, he said, to me in this text, he said, you said you had an upcoming birthday. And I always remembered your birthday because 12 plus 12, six, 6 is 18, 18 and 18 is high. I can't tell you the number of times between last year and today that this man has just melted my heart and brought me to tears. And yesterday he asked me to marry him. <laughs> Flames rekindled, proposal made, wedding date set, COVID intervenes. But finally, Sunday, December 6th, the two of them were married in Dallas, Texas, and on Zoom. Liel, Stephanie, Josh, and I were invited to read four of the seven blessings, the traditional Jewish wedding blessings. And uh, there was no dry eye in this house. Nope, nor here. It really was incredible. Mazel tov, Hal and Irene. We are so honored to be part of your journey. Wishing you all the best.
We're so excited to be joined by jazz guitarist Peter Curtis. Peter is a classically trained guitarist. Everyone says they're classically trained. Can I like what's the what's the bar for that, Peter? How much how much classical training do you need before you're classically trained? I don't know what the bar is for when you can say you're classically trained. <laughs> I started off playing rock and roll guitar, folk music, and blues guitar. It was only later in life when I decided that it was time to go to college that classical training began. Like a lot of guitarists, my classical training was rather late in life. Right. But I just want to be clear that you are here because you've released one of the great Christmas albums of all time, Christmas with Your Jewish Boyfriend. Available on all streaming services, Apple Music, Amazon, etc. Vinyl? Is there a vinyl version? There is not a vinyl version, but there is a CD version available from Amazon and CD Baby. But it features your renditions of a dozen Christmas standards all composed by Jews, right? That is exactly right. These are American popular songs from the Tin Pan Alley era. So this is like Tin Pan Alley, Brill Building, New York on forward, like 1920s forward, basically. And and that repertoire cr- related to Christmas or otherwise is overwhelmingly written by Jewish composers. So the cr- Christmas music is just one subset of that. And I see the sort of phenomenon of Jews writing Christmas music as being part of this larger phenomenon of Jewish people assimilating through music, just as they were assimilating in other elements of society after the great migration of Jews to the United States between the 1880s and the 1920s. And you see it in, you know, Hollywood, you see it in music and not just popular music. It's in classical music, too, with Aaron Copeland writing things like Appalachian Spring and being if I dare say, very at pains to demonstrate his Americanness. Yes, he was like super Americana. He was going to show you that nobody was more New Englandy than he. Exactly, and I feel like Irving Berlin writing "God Bless America" and writing "White Christmas" is a similar phenomenon in the pop music world. One interesting thing about all the songs on this album is that none of them mention Jesus or anything really religious. The closest you get is a mention of Santa Claus in Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and in the Christmas song. But I mean, even Santa Claus, let's face it, that's just an appropriation of a Norse myth, which, you know, it's, it's not really religious anyway. So before we get to your song, I want to talk about the album and then the song. What was the inspiration for the album Christmas with Your Jewish Boyfriend? Okay, well, I teach guitar, both classical and jazz guitar at a college in Riverside, California. And one of the choir directors at the college at which I teach was doing a, con- a Christmas concert and they wanted to do a piece for choir and classical guitar on a Christmas theme. He asked me if I would be an accompanist for this piece. I said, yeah. And then like a little before the concert, he said, hey, do you want to do a solo on the concert? And, you know, it's all a Christmas concert. And I'm thinking, well, maybe I should do like something Hanukkah related. And I thought that seems a bit churlish to be invited to play on a Christmas concert and impose this Hanukkah music. So I thought, well, I'll do something sort of uh, under the radar and do a Christmas song by a Jew. And so I did a medley of White Christmas and the Christmas song by Mel Torme. And that got me sort of interested in the subject. And my significant other, Sophie, is a non-Jew. And the first Christmas we spent together, I wrote a song for her, Christmas with Your Jewish Boyfriend, as my present to her. So between those two things, I thought, hmm, there's a record here. And uh, I decided that I would do a Christmas record of Christmas music by Jews. The other thing about it, it was that I hated having it rammed down my throat 
every year, every time I went to the grocery store between, you know, October and December. Amen. And, you know, I just didn't actually hear the songs because I all I was hearing was this is something that's being forced on me. Right. But once I started looking at these songs as the product of these Jewish songwriters, I started to kind of love them. Now when I hear Sleigh Ride, I'm not thinking, you know, this is an annoying Christmas song. I'm I'm sort of more impressed by the fact that the lyrics were written by somebody whose first language was Yiddish. <laughs> and I think it's pretty impressive that he would come up with a line like, giddy up, giddy up, giddy up, let's go. What's your favorite Christmas song written by a Jew? Musically, I'd have to go with the Christmas song by Mel Torme. Did he write the Christmas song? He did. Interesting. I didn't know he wrote songs. I believe he wrote it with Robert Wells. Okay. But I think he wrote the majority of it. Wow. It's got beautiful chord changes. It's got beautiful harmonies. It's sort of the most... Um, I think it's the most beloved Christmas song by jazz musicians because mm -hmm. the harmonies are really conducive for jazz players to improvise on. And, um, you know, there's that great Nat King Cole recording of it. In terms of lyrics, I think Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer is fascinating. Also by a Jew? I don't know who wrote that. Yeah, it's written by Johnny Marks. Okay. Johnny Marks' brother-in-law worked for a big department store, I think Robinson May. He was a copywriter for them. And they were doing a Christmas time giveaway of books to impoverished children. And rather than give away their stock of books that they actually had, they decided it would be cheaper to have one of the copyright, the in-house copywriters write a booklet. So he wrote this booklet about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. And I submit, I think 10 years after that, that Johnny Marks, who went on to make a career for himself writing Christmas music, including songs like Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree. And even starting his own um, publishing company called St. Nicholas Music. If you look at the lyrics of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, I think it's pretty fascinating in that you've got this uh, reindeer who is ostracized and excluded from the larger reindeer community because of his nose. <laughs> and it is that difference in the end that saves the day. So it's, there's more to it than initially meets the eye or meets the nose. It's deep, brother. Well, my favorite Christmas song by a Jew may, in fact, be Christmas with Your Jewish Boyfriend by Peter Curtis. And uh, oh, that's so kind. Thank you for being our Jew of the Week. And let's have a listen. I don't go to church, but then nor do you. On Christmas Day, I like to eat mushu. You'll drive those girls on J-Date Straight around the bend When you spend Christmas with your Jewish boyfriend Christmas with your Jewish boyfriend My people wrote so many Christmas songs 
Broadway comes to the 14th Street Y on Tuesday, May 21st. Join us at 7 p.m. for a conversation with cast members from Prayer for the French Republic, the Tony Award-nominated Best Play. Tony nominee Betsy Adam and fellow cast members Francis Benhamu, Ethan Haberfield, and Ari Brand will take part in a lively discussion moderated by the New York Times' Mark Tracy. They'll talk about the play's themes of Jewish identity, French culture, and Zionism in times of rising anti-Semitism. This event is part of 14Y's spring season of Jewish culture. As a Jewish community center, 14Y offers a variety of opportunities for people to discover, explore, and connect with Jewish life. Visit 14streetwide.org to learn more and purchase tickets to Broadway at 14Y. Hey, J.Crew, it is time for some pod biz. Tonight, May 16th, I will be moderating a Zoom conversation with Rabbi Sharon Brous and Shai Held about each of their new books. That's at 6 p.m. Eastern and the final event in my Unpacking the Book series with the Jewish Book Council and the Jewish Museum. This one's on Zoom, so no matter where you are, I hope you can make it. And tonight is actually a doubleheader for me. If you're in the New York area, I'll be at the Marlene Meyerson JCC Manhattan at 7.30 tonight in conversation with Israeli rapper and singer Jimbo J. He'll be performing and there will be delicious Israeli food from Chef Mushka, who made the famous Horosets at our Passover pop-up. You can find links to register for both of those events at tabletmag.com slash unorthodoxlive. We also have some great events coming up for tablet members in person and on Zoom. On May 16th, Catherine Wolf will be in conversation with Jews who refuse to back down against hostile crowds in various arenas, from municipal buildings, school board meetings, and of course, college campuses. She'll be talking with Club Z's Masha Merkalova, Safe CUNY's Avraham Goldstein, Attorney John Kovac, Mel Waldorf, Steve Goldberg, and UNC Chapel Hill student Daniel Stumpel. Also coming up, a warm and intimate Zoom for those who have lost friendships since October 7th. That's on May 21st and will be a great chance to connect and meet new people. And on May 30th, an in-person tablet meetup in Washington, D.C., hosted by Tablet's executive editor Wayne Hoffman and Catherine Wolf. That'll be at Char Bar at 6 p.m. You can become a Tablet member at tabletm.ag uo member and get more information about all of these events. Okay, back to the show. Our guest today is Shira Coburn. She is the manager of Family Engagement Music at Central Synagogue and a singer whose new album, Be'achad, just dropped as we cool kids in the industry, of which I'm not a part, say uh, it's a delightful album, an album of Jewish music for kids. Hey, Shira. Hey, how are you? I'm doing very well. I have a lot of questions for you. I love music. It is a huge part of my life. And when we had our kids, I started listening, not of my own accord, to a lot of kids' music. And it kind of occurred to me that something really fascinating happens with kids' music, which is actually kind of extreme, if you think about it. More than kind of any other genre, it seems to me that there are two sort of polar opposites. There are like a few people who do this so extremely well that just listening to, you know, 10 bars, you are filled with joy and love and peace and a sense of well-being. And then there's like a whole host of people who really produce this sort of 
brain um unnerving mind numbing stuff that that every person over the age of 7 cannot physically neurologically sustain for more than 6 seconds but there really seems to be very little in between so first of all do you agree with that and second of all why 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 is this brand of of music or this genre so kind of like extreme being either angelic or demonic so I couldn't agree with you more. And actually, for a long time, I resisted going into anything for kids. Trained as an actress, I went to NYU. I had dreams of being on Broadway. And this sort of presented itself to me. And I was very resistant at the beginning because I always thought that kids' music was something that parents were forced to listen to. Um, something that it was like, do we have to listen to this again? Uh, just over and over and over, mind-numbing kind of music. And when I was offered the opportunity, as any actor or performer does in New York looking for work, I jumped at it, any opportunity to perform. And I started to do some research and figure out what it was that people were playing right now. And I, I sort of stumbled upon this music that was actually good. And I was shocked. I was shocked that people were making kids music that was fun and that was enjoyable for adults. And at that point, I thought, well, maybe I could do this. Maybe this would be something that would be enjoyable for me and interesting. So I'm also a mom. I have two kids and I know what it's like to have things, cartoons, music that I just don't want to hear or see anymore because my kids do play them sometimes. But I always strive to make music. We that won't mention like. any names. We, we won't say <laughs> Perry Grip. We won't say anything. We won't. But it's really important to me that the music that I create is, is enjoyable to adults as well. So I'm always looking for whatever that is that makes it enjoyable. And when I write, I think to myself, what's going to be understandable for kids but how can I put it in a way that adults think is clever, that adults can enjoy, that they find is interesting? And often I do it with the lyrics, but I also try to do it with the music, with the way that I build songs, with the instrumentation, with all of that stuff. And I'm really hoping that this album, which is called Biyahad, for those people who don't know, it means together, is something that people can enjoy Biyahad. It's music, um, I, have, I have a love of pop music, and it's very heavily influenced my music. So... Um, if when you listen to the songs, you'll hear some nostalgic kind of 80s kind of stuff and hip hop and different things that adults will appreciate. But at the same time, the kids should be able to understand what's going on in the songs. Right. It's kind of fun. It's it's almost like a like a like a musical, you know, tasting menu. You you jump, you know, every song is a sort of a tribute, which if if you um, are older than eight <laughs> Uh, and yes. <laughs> maybe if you were alive in the 90s and maybe even the 80s, you'd be like, oh, wow, strong Dave Matthews vibe here. Oh, you know, strong kind of like Duran Duran vibes in, in that one. Let me kind of get back to this question of reconciling different musical sensibilities and taste. The same thing that we just talked about with kids music seems to me that we could also sort of say about Jewish music, right? I mean, you listen to quote unquote Jewish music for that matter, you know, really all religious music. And you think to yourself, yeah, there, there are two or three acts that I'm going to say, or five or six or whatever that are really amazing. But then there's a lot of stuff that clearly places all the emphasis on the wrong end of the spectrum and is actually sort of not really enjoyable unless you've already made a real, real commitment to sort of buy in. And, and it seems to me like you're in the intersection of both these things. It's both kids' music and it's it's kids' music that that means to instill a love of passion for Judaism. So I'm kind of wondering, when you sit down to write the song, is the thought, first of all, okay, I'm, I'm going to come up with this musical framework or is I'm going, this is the message that I want to instill? Are you, are you teacher, then musician, other way around? How does it work? So almost all of the songs on this record were written, they were all written over a course of several years and I work in making holiday celebrations and gatherings for families, for children and adults where they can engage together and enjoy together. So over the years of doing this, I've noticed 
You know, for example, I come to Hanukkah and, you know, it's very important to talk about the Maccabees. That's the whole reason we have this holiday. But there are songs written about dreidels and latkes and sufganiyot and lighting the candles. And I couldn't find a song, a good song that taught about the, the Maccabees. And I think that, you know, a lot of adults do know the story of the Maccabees, but some might not. And kids sometimes don't know it. So in searching for a song and realizing there wasn't one, at that point I sit down and say, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make it because it doesn't exist. So I think a lot of my music um, is important to me to, to tell these stories, to make sure that people know about these things, these traditions that they may otherwise not know about them. And uh, it all starts from that point. And then I think, how can I make this poppy and fun? And so when you think Maccabees, for example, the song to me has a really strong kind of, you know, Dave Matthews band type vibe. It's, it's a sort of like best of kind of 90s college rock <laughs> awesomeness. March your feet and follow me. March with us, the Maccabees. March all day and sing along. We'll show the Greeks who's brave and strong. That made me very nostalgic, obviously, from my youth. How does the connection occur? Do you think Maccabees and then you think, you know, Dave Matthews? No, not really. I start to think about the lyrics. I always write lyrics first. And then I start to figure out, you know, what kind of vibe would this song have? And for example, that Maccabees song, the chorus is about, you know, March with me, we're the Maccabees. And it's like, where would that fit? That doesn't really fit in a fun, dancing, poppy kind of place. It fits in a different vibe. So then I start putting together melodies and rhythms. And when something just sticks, then I go with that and I build on that. <laughs> I love it. Shira Coburn, thank you so much. Thank you. To the mailbox, some fine, fine letters this week. Hello, Holy Trinity. Interesting choice of things to call us. I accept. The story of the various Mark Oppenheimers reminded me of the time that the other, there was only one other, Ari Polsky's mom emailed me to arrange family photos before a Pesach Seder. After I pointed out that I was not her son, she invited me to Seder anyway. Ever since, I've gotten the occasional email for that Ari, including requests for interviews with Bloomberg, tags on academia.edu, and COVID policies from his kid's school. It's happened often enough that I have his email and I just forward things along. Clearly, I got the Gmail first. I'm sure this is a common occurrence in the Jewish world. Thought you might appreciate this story, Ari Polsky. Ari, we do appreciate this story. This is like the Jewish version of that woman who sent a like a text inviting this guy to, to Thanksgiving, and he wrote back, he's like, who are you? And she's like, I'm your grandma. And he's like, you're not my grandma. And like, he's a young black guy and she's an older white woman. And like, they just like were sharing pictures of each other. Anyway, they like ended up becoming, like she invited him anyway. They went, it ended up actually sad because it was like her husband died of COVID and he went there for Thanksgiving this year again to see her. It was like a beautiful story. By the way, I love the idea that, okay, other Ari Polsky shows up at original Ari Polsky's mom's Seder and there's both of them there and they have to sort of like debate over like who's the better Ari Polsky and the mom decides. Like, <laughs> That's our Hanukkah movie. This is like the movie Dave with, with Kevin Klein. Like, he's who's the better Ari Polsky? Ari. One Ari Polsky is like just a dick, and the other is a really nice guy. Ari. <laughs> Shabbat Shalom, Stephanie, Mark, Leal, and the Unorthodox Crew. 
I wonder if this letter writer is writing on her or his Shabbat, or they think we read our letters on our Shabbat. I, I, I don't know. Anyway. Or, or do they think it's just a general greeting? Like, hey, Shabbat <laughs> right. Shalom, Jew. Um, I'm down for that, I wanted by to the reach way. out and say thank you. You've played such an important role in helping me uncover my Jewish soul and impressing my rabbi with my extensive Zom Gedalia knowledge. <laughs> I was supposed to go to the mikveh today. She's obviously becoming Jewish. But due to COVID, they had to close for the entire December. I'm not sad. I'm grateful to be joining a people that believes in Pekuach Nefesh, preserving a life. My rabbi told me to take this time to meditate on what I'm about to do and really savor these in-between moments as the Beit Din and Mikvah would normally happen on the same day. Much of the last year and a half has been a gradual climb toward my new life as a Jew, and I appreciate being able to look back before I take this last step. If I could, I'd like to make a small request. My new Mikvah date is January 4th. Could you please keep me and all the other Jews to be in your thoughts and prayers? We're almost home. Thank you, Unorthodox and the J Crew. B'Shalom, Christy, soon to be Aviva Leia. Aviva Leia? You are in our thoughts and prayers. We Have shall a great- mark our calendars and welcome home. Welcome I love home. that. And you can celebrate the Gregorian New Year with becoming your, your you know, your new you. Um, when they say new year, new you, they literally mean this. <laughs> um, I will say, you know, it's so interesting. We've been thinking about like the way time has sort of like both slowed and stopped. And, you know, like the fact that it's Hanukkah, you're like, wait, wasn't it just March? I imagine that that sense of sort of timelessness would be difficult if you are in the conversion process, right? Which is all about like, benchmarks and moving towards something, whereas like it feels like time is suspended. So I imagine that is is sort of, you know, particularly anxiety producing, but maybe would create a more meaningful overall experience, like wandering through your own desert. Send us a note, Aviva Leia. Let us know how it goes. So speaking of meaningful experiences, I got an amazing note on Facebook from our listener, Robert Grossman, who heard uh, our little snafu uh, of hearing a listener who called in about to Bishvat and not realizing that he said the 15th of Shvat and not the 5th of Shvat and us wondering, what should the 5th of Shvat be if it's not already a holiday? What, what kind of new tradition can we, can we bestow on the Jewish world? And Robert Grossman has a perfect one for us. He writes, there was a pretty horrible slash deadly tradition at U of Virginia for seniors to commemorate the final home football game they attended called the fourth year fifth. One had to drink a fifth of bourbon before the game. During the game, on that day, the rules were never published, but you get the gist of it. Perhaps the fifth of Shvat could have a chavruta, a group of people working and studying together, to down a fifth of some spirit of their choosing. Probably less chance of serious damage if two people divvy it up. Could start the night of the fifth and continue to the next day. Happy to flesh this out together. If you find yourself in Jerusalem between now and Shvat, keep up the great work. Robert, I love where you're going. The fifth of Shvat, and for that matter, the fifth of every Jewish holiday. It's just be about drinking a fifth of whiskey. This is like on my birthdays in college. My mom would be like, don't take 21 shots the night you turn 21. And I was like, do people <laughs> actually do that? Yeah. Here's an interesting question, right? So the, the writer John Casey, who wrote the great novel Spartina, used to run a mile for every year he was alive on his birthday. And this continued wow. into his into his 50s, I think. Sounds and he was very doing similar to this. Double marathons, right? What At what age does it just become too dangerous to do the number of shots of the year you're turning? Like, could I give David two shots this year? Three next? <laughs> of milk, maybe. <laughs> like, around age five, it gets a little, four yeah, like, or five, you're getting pretty dicey By the time there. you start being able to drink, it's already too many. Exactly. Next guest is Kosha Dills. He's a Jewish rapper, and Liel, Josh, and I had a very fun chat with him. 
Got three sons and a girl, that's my life, son. We are here with Rami Matan Evanesh, better known as Kosha Dills. He's a rapper who mixes English, Hebrew, and Yiddish in his songs. Welcome to the show. What an honor. I'm here. What should we be calling you? What do you feel more uncomfortable with? Kosh? Kosh is good. Mr. Dills? Mr. Dills is fun. Um, Sir Dills. Rev Rami. Yeah, Rev, Rev Rami. <laughs> I really love my real name, but people call me Kosh. Kosh is very endearing. It's less formal than Kosha, which is less formal than kosher. Speaking of names, you've taken quite a journey to be where you are, right? You started off and then you kind of put all the Jewish things aside for a while. It was maybe a little too much, a bit embarrassing. And then you kind of like embraced it big time and had this big resurgence. Tell us about your journey. So there was a moment when I started rapping and it's, it's important to note this, actually. I started rapping at the New Rican Post Cafe. I was 17. The guy who just who started that place just just passed away. I mean, this is like over 20 years ago. I was kosher dill. Then it became Katie Flow immediately. And then there was this moment I was in jail for a short time and everyone was getting out of trouble to see like a reverend or a priest. They would like be able to get out of these pods, like, you know, to go see a religious figures. So I, I declared, I demand to see a rabbi. I'd never saw a rabbi. You know, I have Israeli parents, so we never did really anything American Jewish. And then I was, when I released the music that I had made as Katie Flo, I came out as Kosher Dills and just really went full on doubling down with like Jewish identity, but really none of the music was Jewish. And because of the name, People reached out to me and then I got like sort of connected with Modest Yahoo. And that was like my, I never met an Orthodox person to that point in my life. And then from there, I sort of just drifted in the world of Jewry, I think it would, you would call it. It was your come to Matis moment. <laughs> At the time, there was underground rap, hoodies and Timberland boots, and there was Modest Yahoo. So I was like navigating those two worlds. So I feel like you've come to like a really good point on your journey because you have a new Hanukkah song and it's called Schmoozin'. Schmoozin' for bring. Chick has been years since my Bristol. Mr. Potato, West Al Brisket, Kanish flow for clump. Bigelup, fucking around, and you ain't never from on tour when I'm coming to town. Trave Tuchis, ladies be under my gown. Yentas on young diff, and they run in their mouth. Ask Sadie with a fat Zuffdick up in the house. This is for my baby mamas and my bubby who down. So I snore so loud when I sleep, I can't. You use the line for bringing the party, which like, could not be more dear to our hearts as a show. Liel is trying to bring that word back. I think we should bring it back. I don't think it's ever left, but I think currently during Corona times, you can't be for bringing anything anywhere. Will you tell us a little bit what that word means for people who have not been listening to us the last time? <laughs> uh, this is another Modest Yahoo reference. We were in, I don't think I was ever at it for bringing until this time of my life. I think I did a radio show with him in Florida. It was like Tampa. We did a show with Jared Leto. He's in that band, 30 Seconds to Mars. And after the show, it was like, we're going to go to this for bringing. And I was like, what's that? And it was just a bunch of Orthodox dudes just chowing down on chocolate chip cookies and sitting and just twiddling their beards and just hanging out, shooting the shit. You know what I mean? It was a little for bringing, a little hang, a little schmooze. Speaking of, of schmooze, so, so in your new song, there's a very prominent shot in the beginning, which I think marks a first for the rap world. Is this the first rap video ever to picture a close-up on a photo of the Lubavitcher Rebbe? <laughs> Or did Jay-Z get there first? No, yeah, no, I don't think it. I, it's interesting because I produced that whole shoot in, a, it was in my apartment in Jaffa. And uh, it was all fish posters for my buddy. <laughs> I was living there. We took it down and I, I had to go get that printed out and 
No one's ever mentioned that to me. I'm happy you caught that. I think that is maybe the first, but I'm sure there's plenty of from rocker videos that have a picture of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. So let's talk a bit about the music. The style is impeccable. I love your, you're also, you're dressed, you're full chassid in the video. They're like, the homeboys are behind you. You're all rocking. But let's talk a bit about the music. So, you know, there's no question more dreadful, I think, to any artist, but I'm going to go ahead and say definitely to a musician to say like, well, tell me about your process. But with a song like this, I mean, man, you drop so many references to like, I don't think there's a, a Jewish word in Hebrew, Yiddish, you know, English, any term that exists that you didn't drop in the course of these like three and a half minutes. I like yentas and yantif. <laughs> that was a personal favorite. <laughs> I mean, you literally covered all the bases. So how, how did you how did you get to work on this? Okay, so this is a this is an interesting story. So so this song is on my new album, Nobody Cares Except You. This was like the first song that was done for it, and it took forever to get the music video for it because it wasn't going to be done right. So the original process was that there's a guy named Cool Kojak. He did Modest Yahoo's like Happy Hanukkah song. He's familiar with like the success of this like Jewish smash, you know? And that was our like goal. Like let's, and this guy produces for like Nicki Minaj, Kanye West, Lizzo, everybody. So I hit him up and he goes, who are those guys that drive around Israel and they get out of their van and then they start dancing and ask everyone for money. And then they drive away. And <laughs> go, oh, those are the Nachman guys. And he goes, I want our song in that van. And that was the goal of the entire song. So I'm like, okay. So we would just start sending each other like Yiddish meme, anything Yiddish. And this guy's Brazilian. He has nothing. He doesn't, but he's like really obsessed with it. So we kept doing it and doing it. And I recorded the song. When I recorded the uh, music video last year, I went to the studio and we like rechanged some of it. But... Basically, I went through like just all the Yiddish words and I'm like, let me just just whip them out here. And, you know, rap is definitely like the play on words. So for bringing the party and for bringing the party, that's kind of ultimately it was like the smash. And then we played it for a couple of people and they're like, yo, this is a this is a banger. You know, this is not uh, an ordinary thing. And it's it's really fun to play. It's more fun to play for people that aren't Jewish than are Jewish. And that's what I really discovered about the song. What kind of reactions have you been getting from, from our gentilic brothers and sisters? A Jewish song is always truly tested in, in Utah. And that's when you know you have a hit or not. So I usually play at Sundance like every year. So I was opening for Dell the Funky Homo Sapien and had a show with uh, Wiz Khalifa. And the, the Dell show is like a lot of Salt Lake City bros, you know, like snowboarder kind of community. And what happened was you go schmoozing for bring in the party who's in for bring in the party jewish and then you tell everyone like no guys say jewish really 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 loud like this is you get a full pass this is your opportunity to yell jewish really loud right i mean were they sort of like we don't know it's weird we don't want to say that word yeah, out loud yeah, yeah, yeah. Are we allowed? I, is that a bad word <laughs> yeah is that a bad word yeah they're not sure if jewish is a bad word and <laughs> So we get into a chance the other day, Jews, Jews, Jews. So, and I'm like, yeah, this is it. This is it. This is the one. And uh, there's nothing that brings me more joy than doing that. I wouldn't advise anybody for their musical career to do that. But as a personal thrill, that is some of the greatest moments of my life. Just getting a bunch of Mormon dudes to start young Jews. That's how Elvis got started. So that's <laughs> So I want to break this down even more. You do a presentation on campuses called How to Become a Jewish Rapper in 45 Minutes. We don't have 45 minutes, but like, can you give us the cliff notes of that? I could. Um, so your name's Stephanie. Yes. Have you ever dreamed of rapping? Maybe like nightmares. Okay. So I'll ask you this question. What's the most important part about being a rapper? Um, a good name. Yes. Well, that's amazing that you got that. So what would your rap name be? 
Okay, you have 30 seconds to think of a rap name. Leal and Josh also have 30 seconds to think of the rap name. You guys can come back in 30 seconds. What are like, what are the principal components? Is it like the first, the street you grew up on and then your cat's name or something that, like that? That's porn names, but yeah. I think, uh, yeah. <laughs> but you guys should take 30, 30 seconds to think of your rap name and ready, set, go. Well, I, I have a cheat because my initials are LL, so I'm definitely LL Cool Jew. I want to be like Podzilla because of like podcasts. Yeah. <laughs> I would totally go to a Podzilla show. I would. It's just like an NPR stream, the full time. Flannels are required to get in. And Josh's name is is Josh Cross. So I'm thinking Chris Cross? No, my, my rap name is Crosstown. Oh, uh, Kanish Cross would be really great. There you go. Ooh, and delicious. <laughs> so is that it? Are we Jewish rappers? That's the first step. You get congratulations. And the next most important part would be your first rap. So if I give you a word, you just have to rap that word. Have you ever rapped before? No. Um, Podzilla. Okay, we'll now refer to you as Podzilla. <laughs> and I'll never refer to you as Stephanie ever again. So Podzilla. Okay, I'm going to give you a word. And then you just rhyme this word with the next word. Okay. Okay, your word is phone. I, the only thing that's in my mind is bone. That's what I said. <laughs> there you go. Congratulations. Okay, so we're rapping. This is great. I love it. You're done. You're done. Ultimately, Jewish rap, you get your rap name. You do your first rap. You do a first line of rap. You're like, my name is Podzilla and I'm here to say... And then you fill in the blank and you're like, I don't know. And all the kids are like, say something. Da, da, da. Something, 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 something major way. <laughs> yes. And then you're in front of the class and you're like dealing with all your shyness and everyone's like, yeah, good job. And then it goes into counting. We teach kids how to count because the beat goes on the four. It goes one and two and three and four and one and two and three and four. And I'm on unorthodox podcast hanging out with Pazilla with the hot raps. Went on teens like teens in four. Leo goes one and two and four. You know, so there you go. <laughs> You're welcome. I really like that. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you. That's a real treat. So are you worried that like if there are going to be three newly minted Jewish rappers on the scene, like does that worry you right now having trained us? No, I mean, there should be more opportunities for Jewish rappers all around the world, honestly. Is it annoying when people are people always just like Drake, a Jewish rapper? Like, does that bother you? Well, it's it's just kind of interesting. I was like the Jewish rapper before Mac Miller. I was a Jewish rapper before Lil Dicky. I was a Jewish rapper before so many other Jewish rappers. It's kind of cool that people will be like, wait, you're the Jewish rapper. But the reason why we became that was because back then you weren't supposed to sound like anybody else. You were supposed to be completely original. And if you were like anybody else, Lil Rappers didn't exist. My first record came out in 2005. There was no Lil's didn't exist. They were still bigs. It was Big Mike, Big John, you know, Lil, maybe Lil John was out, but that was it. You know, crazy times. <laughs> do you feel like you like begat all of these other Jewish rappers? I mean, do you resent it a little bit? It's a great question. Do I resent it? Sometimes I think back, I said, wow, like what could have I done? But I actually had a discussion with this guy, Yehuda from Moshav Band. And we always think about, you know, we get these agents or we get like regular booking agents or like this year I had a song with Cascade, who's like a world famous EDM DJ. It's like millions of streams, right? I didn't barely anything. This didn't require lots of talent or hard, deep soul crushing lyrics. That was a uh, sexy, right? Yes. I said a total of eight words in this song and it's my biggest hit. What were they? <laughs> this one girl just texted me, yeah. Feeling really sexy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> That's how the Talmud got started. Little known fact. Those, those eight words. Little, somebody sent a text and it was game, game over. Yeah. But 
going back to resentment, the resentment is that I came from like an underground rap world. So my dream wasn't to get signed. It was to be on another obscure underground rap label. So I never really made music with the intent of being like completely pop culture. But as I grew older, like I realized that even though I'm an underground artist, most of my fun thinking was always in like really silly stuff. But most of the stuff that I'm dealing with is really dark but it comes out in really like lighthearted songs about dreidels or Fabringens. And so the creation of it is while like a pop artist would go through a dark time and write about the relationship, I would go through a dark time and write a song called Tommy Pickles. People say, Coz, you don't got the drug raps. I'm more like Tommy Pickles with the rug rats. Going in for Nickelodeon. I hope you love that. I'm up in the club all grown up. I'm much, much healthier. <laughs> so I, yeah, I don't know if that answer. So I, yeah, it's kind of like a, so I have a weird approach and I just don't even understand it sometimes, but I'm really grateful for it because, you know, Hanukkah, we get the shows, you know, it's fun. Get on the podcasts. What are your plans as Hanukkah season? Well, it's funny enough, I actually sold out and I got hired to do a Christmas song. <laughs> it's with a black Santa and a Jewish reindeer for a song called Schmuck the Buck. It's about a Jewish reindeer. This guy who wrote it is not Jewish. And yeah, I get weird emails like this a lot. I get an email that's like, hey, listen, I, I heard about you through the Google or something. And I said, oh, I'll make this into a song. This is a really obscure thing. And this goes back to resentments. Your last question, do I resent the fact that this happens to me? Depends how I feel during the day. Am I grateful that this happens to me? Yeah, I'm grateful that I can make raps for like nonprofit galas and get paid thousands of dollars to make a rap about someone's grandparents who donated money. And it's just kind of... <laughs> Yeah, like, I'll totally do that, you know? I also feel like it's socially acceptable in the world of, like, dating. Or like, oh, he does, like, nice stuff, you know? So, right. so yes, I am going to play schmoozing. The, I'm going to run ads on schmoozing through all de denominations and do a bunch of Zoom performances. And I have this other new video, Schmuck the Buck, coming out. And we shot it in New York. And it's with the Black Santa from Bed-Stuy. <laughs> Schmuck with the buck, schmuck with the buck, holiday celebration and it's all love. Schmuck with the buck, schmuck with the buck, I ain't got a tree in the crib, we still light it up. 2020 about to get it in no sleep till Christmas. Local deli, yeah, man, the price is so vicious. COVID got the price to mess it up, I need condition. Schmuck with the buck, go with the kish kish. Can I get a yes, yes, y'all? And there's just a bunch of dancers, we're in the subway, had a fun time. And holiday season, <laughs> trying to get on television. I'm actually doing something really important, though. You guys know the venue Arlene's Grocery? Of course. Sure. Mm -hmm. So Arlene's Grocery is like, obviously, like all live venues are going under. So I'm doing a fundraiser. So I'm going to do a Hanukkah show filmed at Arlene's Grocery. That's amazing. When is it? December 15th is when we're going to run it. We're going to run like live tickets on Veeps. And then there's just going to be a GoFundMe through Arlene's Grocery. I'm going to record it, do a pre-tape of it and do a menorah lighting. So if people want to like get in on the kosher deals, like where do they find you? Where do they listen to you? Where, where do they get more? I feel like Spotify is great, right? Because it's so easily shareable. Like, But there's also Bandcamp and there's like the website. But, you know, YouTube, you could get behind the videos and see the visuals. I have tons of videos. I've been uploading videos for like 10 years. But schmoozing is there and you see schmoozing and you're never going to see a five-foot iron cast menorah anywhere else with the Lubavitcher Rebbe and stage-driving rabbis. And the Nachman guys were in the video, by the way, which was the ultimate goal of that video was to convince these guys to drive down for like 50 shekels from like Tzfat. <laughs> And they came to Jaffa <laughs> and they just didn't stop jumping. We broke out like a six pack and like a couple bags of Bamba and it was like a nonstop party. Like I'll have what they're having. Yeah. And it's luckily I'm sober, but I mean, I just never saw a guy jump so much for Torah. Like, like he just kept jumping. <laughs> it's, it's really crazy. 
It was really one of the most fun experiences in my life to shoot that video. Well, Kosha Dills, watch out for your upcoming rap feud with Podzilla. This is when I forget that you taught me everything I know. She's moving in <laughs> on the turf. Podzilla, first off, that name has legs, to be honest. It does. And if you don't use it, I would actually be extremely sad. I should just start a business of just benighting people and giving them the rap yes. names for like, because <laughs> Podzilla is going to last you. You should change it to all your profiles, Podzilla for a day. And, and then she could be Pzilla and PZ. Yeah. This is great. And Rami, you, you gave me my start. And so I'll always be grateful to you. <laughs> Yes, one day I will betray you publicly, like in some sort of really dramatic way. But until then. I just want like, just be able to get the collab before you blow. And that way I could get like, you know, the mutual streams, etc. I'm here for you. <laughs> yeah. Rami Matan Evanesh, also known as Kosha Dills. Thank you so much for being with us and wishing you a happy Hanukkah. I just want to remind you guys, nobody cares except you. It's the name of my album, but I actually believe it belongs to you three because you guys are very caring people. Thank you. And we're very grateful. Thank you so much. Thanks. Nobody cares except you. Nobody cares about anyone. Please listen to my music. To believe in myself is just so confusing. Looking for inspiration. Let's do this. Nobody cares except you. Nobody cares about anyone. Mazel Tov. Uh, I'm just going to go right in with, I got nothing that's going to top Hal and Irene. So to Hal and Irene, uh, Mazel Tov, we're so honored to have been a small part of what uh, what was fated by powers bigger even than the podcast. So this week, two kind of incredible Mazel Tovs. Uh, one I offer with a grain of salt, begrudgingly, not really happy for him, Robert Zimmerman, went ahead and sold his entire catalog uh, to, I believe, Universal Music for a reported $300 million. So Bob Dylan, congratulations. You're even wealthier and even more determined to make your fans miserable. Well, he initially asked for $613 million. That's right. Go, go for bringing yourself. But on a happy note, uh, I, I was delighted to learn this morning that my beloved soccer team, Beitar Yerushalayim, was half sold, by which I mean to say half of it is now owned, by Sheikh Hamid bin Khalifa of the United Arab Emirates, proving that Jews and Arabs are wasting no time getting it done. Uh, Beitar, for those of you following at home, is not a team that is well known for its general, you know, tolerance and sort of a love of the other. And so the fact that 49% of the team is now owned by an Arab sheikh is really something else. And I think if, if you wanted a new Middle East, if you wanted a vision you could believe in, here it is, baby. Oh, yeah. Sarah Fredman Ader. I want to give a huge mazel tov to Westchester Day School. It's my children's Jewish day school. Um, my daughter, who is in first grade, had her Sidur play, which in a lot of Jewish day schools is a big celebration when children get their first Sidur and learn to love praying. And the fact that the day school was able to make it work in times of COVID, outside, distance, mass, these, all these six-year-olds in 30-degree weather singing Jewish songs, it was I, I know how much work went into it, or rather, I don't know how much work went into it. And I'm I'm really, really appreciative that our children got this really special day and a, a bit of normalcy. Six shots of grape juice for Liana, I think. I mean, she can't imagine anything better. <laughs> Josh Cross, uh, do you have a mazel tov for us or, or something else to, to take us home this Hanukkah season? Well, since this whole episode was about music, Liel and I got together. Never, uh, Never a good start. Yeah, right. And we put together a little Mazel Tov song for all our listeners. So here, take a listen. 
her you had a dreadful year With months of suffering, pain and fear But you know your ancestors had it harder, do ya? All you did was stay at home while they endured their tenth pogrom with lusty, sweaty Cossacks shouting Booyah! Hallelujah! This year's screw-yah Overruled ya But you Your mask, too much to take, but it beats getting beaten with a rake. That's what your great great lady in the Inquisition knew ya. So while you chill and wash the crown, remember he was beaten down by the auto of fame. Sit alone inside your room You're getting on another Zoom If this is your idea of doom More power to ya Cause it sucked when all your plans were tossed But at least it's not the Holocaust You're not hiding The rest of the song is coming right up, but first I have to tell you just quickly that Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine on the web at tabletmag.com. Send your thoughts to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Our show is produced by Josh Cross and Sarah Frebinator. Our associate producer is Robert Scaramucci. Our artwork is by Esther Werdiger. Theme music by Golem. Mailboxing by Steve Barton. Rabbinic supervision by Rabbi Janine Kobrinsky of Temple Bethel in Fargo, North Dakota. And we come to you from all the scattered locations of the candle lighting diaspora. Shalom, friends. You thought he had only had breath for one line of the outro, but he made it all eight lines.
Now it's time to have some fun It's almost 2021 And your favorite podcast is here for you J. Crew, yeah With more news of the Jews And Yash with jokes And goofing on the Belgian folks So drink up A mobile schwa? What? A mobile schwa? <laughs> a schwa is like an upside down E. It means just the. No, uh, I know, sound. but do you know? Do you know from a mobile schwa? Yeah. What's a mobile schwa? There's a mobile. It's something and I learned about one. when we made yes. the Haggadah. Correct. What is it? It's one is basically just has no sound to it, uh, which is the immobile schwa, mm-hmm. and the mobile schwa is basically a eh, sort of sound. Yeah. Eh. Mobile schwa is what I call my phone on the weekends when I don't use it. <laughs>